one, two, three. You're very welcome along to the Brian and Kieran Warfield podcast, the ramblings of two Irish balladeers, featuring Brian Warfield of the fierce and mighty Wolf Tones and his son Kieran, that's me, of the band Catalba and also of the bandwagon bus Dublin's only musical ballad tour on wheels. So sit back, relax, grab a tea, coffee, beer, or wine, or whatever takes your fancy as we go rambling through life's misty, foggy dew, through stories, songs, history, politics, life on the road. And just a general bit of crack. Yeah, so thanks for joining us for our first uh, podcast. And uh, how we're going to go about this is we're going to call it after the very first Wolf Tone album, and go through each song for each episode over the next uh, 15 episodes, because at the moment we're going to start with the Foggy Juve 1965 album uh, on Fontana Records. Um, so I guess uh, we'll get straight into it, and uh, my dad's sitting across the table over two feet away from me, socially distanced. <laughs> so with, uh, with a pint of whiskey in front of him. <laughs> we wish, yeah, uh, no. Two cups of coffee, it's yeah. uh, what time? It's half two in the afternoon. So, um, Dad, how's, uh, how's lockdown been for you and Mum? It's been terrible for everybody. And um, we we came back from um, the USA tour last uh, last March. And we had to come back uh, earlier than expected because uh, we cancelled the last couple of shows. So, it, yeah, it was tough. And uh, funny enough, I think we all got, some form of COVID uh, on the way back or over there because um, two of the wives had the loss of taste and smell and uh, Tommy was laid up for about two weeks and um, nobody knew anything about COVID back there and coronavirus as they called it but um, I got sick then I was very sick when I got back um, for about five days, I couldn't move off the couch. I was just just uh, feeling awful, no energy, um, you know, sore throat and the nose. My nose felt very strange. Um, but we seemed to get over it uh, in, in a, a couple of weeks. And um, we still, we don't know, but we still feel we did get the, 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 the infection. Have you had any lingering effects? No lingering effects whatsoever. But, um, you know, we've been very disappointed since then because we've had dates booked for last Easter and uh, we were we are doing uh, the failure this year in, in Belfast. We dates booked in Derry in the Millennium. We dates booked in Cork and Limerick in Dublin. And they were mainly sold out, nearly all, all sell, sold out and... Uh, we offered people uh, refunds that wanted it, and a lot of people, some people took it, and most people didn't because we moved them on then to August. And once again, we had to, we had to get, uh, we had to cancel the August dates. Then we moved it to October, and we had to, <laughs> had to cancel them. 
uh, we felt uh, that it was useless sort of going to this Easter because of uh, the, uh, the pandemic, as they call it, is, um, it. It's gone so bad all over Ireland, so we didn't see it uh, realistic uh, to uh, reschedule the, the, the concerts. But now we have them back up for October, November. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll get there in the end. And uh, we look forward to it. I'm fed up with this, uh, looking at the four walls of the house. I think everyone's just champing at the bit to get out, but uh, obviously realise like, the seriousness of the situation. And like I booked a trip to Azerbaijan for the Ireland game yeah. in October as well. I, to be honest, like I don't, I don't think I thought I was going to be going, and I still don't. But uh, it gives you something to look forward to because at the moment, like you've nothing. Like it's not a thing. Yeah. It's it's it's. Uh, I guess people get depressed now and again, you know. But but the good thing is we learned a few words like social distance. <laughs> I don't. Is that good? I don't think what that's like asymptomatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, academia, AstraZeneca, and all these bloody various uh, all new terminologies, bu- buzzwords. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, like looking looking to the to the match in in October like I probably won't be vaccinated by then you know so the, the chances of you being allowed to leave the country I'll, I'll take your ticket <laughs> <laughs> you, no. you can take my flight <laughs> no no I, I, we, we're hopefully now we, we, we've got dates like in the INAC Killarney and um, in the stadium in Dublin and you know Limerick and Cork and uh, who's your support in the stadium I, I don't... You're probably going to be the support. <laughs> you don't know it yet. But, uh, but uh, yeah, we... You know, we'd, it'd be great to get back, really, in, in October and, and get going again. And, uh, you know, it'd be a bit of a break then for the people around to get out and let off a bit of steam. Yeah, I think everybody's going to cut loose, all right. <laughs> it'll be a pretty mental couple of months. Yeah, well, I'm hoping, like, as you be... Normally playing the Barrowlands in Glasgow in November. November, um, yeah. Well, we we have we have moved a date in uh, the Barrowlands up to November, but as to whether you know go ahead or not, we just don't know. But they're they're rolling out the vaccinations very fast in uh, around Scotland and England, so maybe you know it could be on the right side of life. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me personally, I'd love it because I love. Doing the support for the Barrowlands is oh, just such sure. a special place to do a gig. Uh, there's nothing like it. It's, uh, I think everybody, all the Wolf Tones on you, uh, we all say it's our favourite gig, and it is. It's great atmosphere. The people are lovely, and you know, um, I think for years and years and years, um, I tried hard. I remember, oh God, going back to the seventies, probably. Um, You'd see very, very few Celtic shirts in Dublin. There were Manchester United, there were Liverpool, there were this, that, and the other. Still is, and all, <laughs> and all, all those English clubs. But you wouldn't see any any Celtic jumpers at all. Uh, so I set out back then. I think it's one of my. I still, I said it to someone, and they put it in a book that uh, it was one of the achievements. I thought that that I'm very proud of. Um, what happened was I said I'm going to. Rejoin Ireland and Celtic um, 
in a way that uh, all the all the kids will love to follow Celtic again. And uh, that happened. And one of the things that I think that brought us all together was uh, when I wrote the song Celtic Symphony. Mm. And uh, that came about because, um, well, we were up in Motherwell and we weren't allowed into Glasgow at the time. because remember, uh, yeah. 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 And so we used to play in Motherwell. We're out there and Tommy Grant, who was one of the directors of Celtic at the time, he said, we're coming up. We're coming up now to the uh, the hundredth anniversary, and he said, uh, "You better write us a good song." I said, "Well, I'll have a go at it." And uh, so I spent a, this was going back to probably eighty five or thereabouts eighty four. So I had to think about it, think about it for a year, and my God, it wasn't coming out at all. <laughs> it was just one of those songs that was difficult. Uh, some songs would just come right away, but I wanted something special. I wanted to get the atmosphere of Glasgow, the enthusiasm of the people, and the way that they supported Ireland in every every uh, step of the way from going back to the uh, famine times. So the Glasgow, the Irish in Glasgow and the Irish in Scotland were very important uh, in the story of Ireland. So I wanted to get that across and. Uh, the Celtic Symphony came out. Then uh, when we recorded it, um, I think from then on, uh, everybody when we recorded was enthusiastic about it and loved it. And we knew we had something special on our hands. I remember the first time I heard it, I was over on a J1 visa over in America. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I heard it, because like, I went to Glasgow the year before, that was my first time ever going. And I got on a plane and I think there was only one other supporter, and one or two, I think, from Cork. And it was for a Celtic Rangers game. And there was only two other people on the plane from going over for, to Glasgow. Like, obviously, it was quite expensive to travel by plane back then. But even just the fact there was only two supporters yeah, on a plane going to a Celtic Rangers game shows you that there wasn't a volume of people going across before, before then. And that's back when like, Celtic had won the double in 88 that year so it wasn't that they were performing badly like because I went in the 90s early 90s when they were playing absolutely shite <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there was still bigger crowds going so maybe that, that there's a lot to do with uh, oh absolutely absolutely like uh, I've no doubt about it but uh, you know when we when we were singing around uh, Ireland and around America and around England and all over the place like we were singing Celtic Symphony. We had everybody in America. We had everybody in England. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it, you know, it, it gave people a, ta- a taste of what Glasgow Celtic and what Glasgow was all about on the Glasgow Irish contingent. And um, I, could, I could feel it after that. I fe- felt a swell. Mm. And it was, it was great. I, I was... I was very happy about it because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I remember because when we were over in the States, I was with Tom and Judy early. Yeah. And you remember the video we did? Yeah. We went, yeah. Down, to, we went down to the, the Jersey Shore. Uh, down the, they had a video booth down there in the boardwalk and we put on the Celtic Symphony and we had a great crowd. But Tom loved that song from that album. Like, so oh, so yeah. he's an American, knew nothing about Celtic, but just loved the song. Like, so yeah, it was infectious, yeah. like, you know. Um, so uh, still to this day, like, you just like, yeah. Well, most people in America never knew what the song was about, and uh, it it didn't matter. Celtic Symphony was like a symphony of 
Celtic celebration, if you like. And they saw it that way and they loved it that way. And it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It's only after that when they delved into the song, got to know the song better, got to know it better, uh, they they got to understand what it was all about. Mm. And then the the video, of course, you got to do that in Celtic Park. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, I think poor old Tom Grant had to go into hiding for about two weeks. The press were after him. And the funny thing about it is that, the, you know, I suppose anybody else could go into Celtic Park and they'd be proud, you know, to have them in there performing. But uh, with the Wolf Tones, we had been kept out of Glasgow for years uh, because, well, obviously they saw the Wolf Tones. We had supported the people of the six counties in their struggle. And uh, because of that, we had many songs that uh, uh, told the story of the horrific times the people had in 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 uh, in the six counties, so um, we were kept out of Glasgow because of, I think because of that fact, and they saw they saw the Wolf Tones as a a rebel band that was going to stir up trouble or whatever. We told the story. Where my intention or our intention was not to cause trouble, and you know, since then I think they tried everything the the, the police in Glasgow to prevent the Wolf Tones or to provoke the supporters into some kind of riot or violence. It never happened because the people of Glasgow know better and the people of Glasgow are peaceful, happy people. I think I put it into a song I wrote there a couple of years ago called The Celtic People. And uh, I think they're the greatest supporters in the world. Mm. And there does be a lot of intimidation by the police before the gigs. I've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. And And it's over policing. And I've never seen trouble. Like you have the odd arsehole that's a bit taking too much drink like you know but that's at every gig like you know I've been yeah. at Oasis gigs where they've been punching the heads off each other in, in the audience like you yeah. know yeah, so it's not like it's any any different you know like in general 80-90% of the crowd are well behaved and you've got 10% that are just complete you know yeah. it doesn't matter where you go well I, I at one stage I got so fed up with it the police were kind of um, you know I'd, I'd book a um, a date with the Barrowlands and then I'd hear the police would be down and they'd be saying, no, no, you can't run the Wolf Town. So I met, I met uh, one of the um, one of the inspectors there in uh, Strathclyde Police and uh, I, I just wanted to know what, why, um, why the, you know, the, he's preventing us playing there. And he said because they had to put on extra police. And I said, you don't need extra police. I said, they're the greatest supporters in the world. There'd be no trouble. Mm. So um, uh, I said, well, look at it this way. I said, you know, if the Scottish groups come to Ireland, which they do, I'm an Irish citizen. I'm a taxpayer in Ireland. And if if something comes over there, we've got to put up police there. And and we don't put up as many as you're putting for a gig, but we put up police and they, they... you know, that, that's the way it is. Uh, your police force is there to police a situation or, a, or a, a, an event. And that's what happened, you know, in Ireland. And that's what happens here. Is that your phone? That's my phone again, <laughs> yeah. They've always picked the wrong time. <laughs> okay, we're back after the phone call. And uh, so you were talking about the policing over in the, in the boroughs. Yeah, well, you know... They went on after that, and uh, you know the papers were very vocal. Are writing about it is um, 
you know, they were talking about uh, sectarianism and football and, and music and songs. And they, they see an Irish, the, the story of Ireland or the story of our Irish song as a kind of a, a hate thing, that it was a hateful speech or incitive speech. And of course, you know, it's how, how, how much could you be wrong about that? Because in actual fact, it's a story. Mm. It's not, it's not, there's no song uh, that I know of or that the Wolf Tones have ever done that says, I hate people, you know. Yeah, but we they, get that, we got that over here in, uh, won't name the hotel, but uh, we were told that we, I got a phone call saying that uh, we wouldn't be allowed to play unless we cut out a few of the certain songs. So. Certain songs. And I said, well, can you tell me what songs they are? And they said, no, well, we we can't tell if you want to put your set list together and we'll tell you what songs we can't sing. So I sent over a set list and they picked out a song that I had written called Blood and Timber about hurling. And I think because I had the word blood in it, <laughs> <laughs> they decided that that was one of the songs. I said, you've never heard that song before. There's nothing in it. It's about hurling. Like, you know, so immediately his argument was no longer valid, like, yeah, you know, in terms yeah. of what he wants. So in the, in the long run, anyway, we didn't, yeah. we ended up not playing that venue. Well, at a couple of stages, they had um, they had people come in and uh, vet her concerts, and you know, see if there was any incendiary uh, type of songs in the in a set list. And you know, they came in, and I knew they were there, but mm. uh, didn't change the set list. Uh, they they zoomed in on one thing, you know, and that was the Celtic Symphony, and they said. Uh, uh, um, you know, about the, the song and the ooh-ah and all that. And uh, I said, well, look at, it, look at it this way. I'm a songwriter. I write and paint pictures and words. And I said, when I was writing that song, I was walking around and walking through Glasgow and I was trying to capture the atmosphere. I look over a wall and I see graffiti on the wall there and I see, like, up the cells, up the cells. And I see ooh-ah on the wall. <laughs> And, um, you know, that inspired the song. Like it says, like, uh, yeah, that's that's Glasgow. That's, you know, if it had been in Fenian times, you would have seen graffiti on the wall, you know, up the Fenians or back to Fenians or the Land League or, you know, down with the landlords, whatever it was. It's still in, we don't care what the landlords say. The landlords were hated by the Irish. Yeah. And uh, so it's all part of our story, our history, our life. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a picture, an old picture of a, it was from Dublin, and it was a British armoured car, and on the side someone had written up Sinn Féin and chalk, and there was a soldier standing by it, but he obviously didn't see the <laughs> see the up Sinn Féin, but it was a brilliant picture, like absolutely brilliant picture. But uh, the in the video, and I always slag you for this. I wave, I wave up at the at the old Rangers end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well. Uh, our our good friend, you know, uh, Mr. Aiken, he ca- called me out on that one, you know. But uh, John wouldn't let you. No, he, he d- didn't let me away. Every time he saw me, you know, he used to have a laugh about that. God, I miss him so much, you uh, know. John was great, too. Yeah. Great character. Glasgow's in the same without him. But, uh, yeah, it, it's true. I did, and... Uh, <laughs> We'll forgive you because the song is, is, is <laughs> has become well, it's become legendary. Like because I think every single Irish band, rebel band, or ballad band 
play Celtic Symphony now and it's yeah. when they play it they get the huge reaction from the audience and that's why it's yeah. you know it's like it's like um I don't know it's known I think probably every every Irish person knows the song by now it, it's the sweet caroline of rebel <laughs> music <laughs> boom 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 <laughs> but it is it's a it's a it's a it's a fantastic song that does even in our own gigs it gets everyone just up. Yeah, well, yeah. look, we played it everywhere. We, you know, we played it over in Disney World and Disneyland. We played it in France. We played it in uh, every in Germany. Every everywhere we play it, like it doesn't matter. They don't even like in in you know places where they don't even speak English. And as soon as you play that song, they're up at it. We played in a in the Czech Republic, and there we. About five thousand checks. <laughs> Is that the way you call them? Yeah, but, <laughs> five thousand, and uh, in a huge, huge stadium, and they all went crazy um, with the song and everything else. So it does, you know, it moves people. I don't think it's anything to do with the words. I think it's the rhythms. I remember you telling me a story about because uh, when you you were banned out of the Barrowland for a long. No- Oh, for years, on and off. Seven for, years. For years, oh. yeah. We we played uh, mostly in Motherwell where we were barred out. Um, and then what happened, um, we we were over in Australia one year. I think this is the story I was telling you. And uh, we were booked to play in Edinburgh. And we flew back from Australia and we were going directly to... Um, to uh, London and then getting the flight up to Glasgow, which we did. We arrived in early morning, let's put it that way. We booked in the hotel. We all went to bed for a while. We were playing in uh, Edinburgh. At the, I can't remember the hall now. Big hall there. Um, one of the major, the Caird Hall, is it? And uh, the place was sold out. Um, uh, I, I was woke up at about lunchtime and someone said um, there's a problem with the gig and I said what's the problem and uh, I was told that uh, that the um, the gig was called off by the police unless we went over early and did a show very early and uh, of course we were only out of bed and all that kind of thing just had to come in from Australia and uh, we went over to Edinburgh anyhow and uh, there was no no way the gig was going to go ahead. They called it off. And uh, the following night we were in Greenock and I remember we played in Greenock uh, the following night and, you know, people were very angry about the, us being cancelled in Edinburgh and everything else like that. But, uh, I mean, we got a huge ovation when we got... When we got on stage in Greenock, mm. I can see why. Because you know, at least we got there. You know, yeah. I've stopped in Edinburgh, but we got there. But that wasn't the first time. You know, I, I probably you know that had happened. I, you know, the, I, I wrote, I wrote letters to the embassy in uh, Edinburgh. The Irish have a consulate in Edinburgh. I explained the situation. I explained what we're seeing. And uh, I explained what people sing, you know, the story about Ireland's story, basically. Mm. 
and uh, you know, and it, it it shouldn't be uh, discriminated against in any way, yeah. because uh, I let's put it this way: when they sing the Flower of Scotland and Kick Edward's Harris down back to England, <laughs> you know, it's a, re- a rebel song. Isn't it? <laughs> of course, it's a rebel <laughs> song. But uh, you know, they're all out there proud, sticking their chests out. You know, yeah. and it's the only people that can't do it. The Irish remember that. Irish songs like God Save Ireland were banned and banned in Ireland yeah. during the British times. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a case down in Limerick where they found a copy of the song in his house. And because they found a copy of the song in his house, he was sent to jail. So yeah. the, the flying of the Irish tricolour was barred. Um, and the singing of Irish rebel songs in any way was barred. So... The rebel song, in a way, was always something they feared mm. and something they disliked because Irish people embrace it. Well, they still do, don't they? There's yeah. still a fear of that uh, rebel music. Like you, you can see it on the radio, on the national radio here, even in itself. Like you know, you don't get any. No, they, they like you know, that's fine. You know, uh, if if the case of the Wolf Tones, if they barred the song, that's grand. But not alone do they bar the song, they bar the group as well. Yeah. You know, so it's not just a song they're on about. They're on about like, uh, you know, anybody that uh, dares to tell the story of Ireland in an Irish, uh, from an Irish perspective, are basically uh, not allowed to, to be aired on te- television or radio. Mm. That wasn't the story I was actually talking about. <laughs> wasn't that's, it? <laughs> that's why it's good. It's sort of a ramble, isn't it? Um, no, it was about. I, I, maybe I could even make this up. Was it? You were playing at the time of a of a, the Scottish Cup final, and the guy had booked you on the premise that it was Celtic were playing Rangers in the semi final. That if Celtic won, it would be a huge gig. And if Celtic lost, it would be a huge gig because all the Celtic fans would go to it because they wanted to forget about the cup final. And before the gig, you wanted to go to a pub for a pint. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that was a good one. That was in, where the hell was that? Um, Clyde Bank. Right. And uh, we, um, anyhow, yeah, we, we wanted to go for a drink and the guys who were running the, the show, they said that, uh, no way, you won't get a minute if you go. But tell you what we'll do, we'll bring you to a Rangers pub. So you won't, nobody will hassle you there. <laughs> so you have a quiet drink. So oh, we go to the Rangers pub anyhow, and uh, we go into, the, there's kind of a barn and a lounge. And we go into the lounge here, we're really the only ones there, but they're, they're all in the bar singing and, and uh, real happy after Rangers have won the cup. Yeah. And... Uh, Somehow or another, we were spotted in the lounge and a couple of guys came in and uh, said, uh, can we buy us a drink? <laughs> we, we, we didn't know like who they were. They were wearing Rangers stuff and all that kind of thing. And, okay, give them, come on, give them a drink, give them all a drink there. And so he says to the barman, the barman comes over, he lays up wherever I have a couple of pints here and a couple of pints there. Anyhow, um, the the all the Rangers supporters knew us. Anyhow. <laughs> and he said, one of them said, I was down, he said, I was working down in London. And he said, I went to the National of London to see you. 
And he said, I loved it, loved the songs and music and everything else like that. And he said, uh, I, I'm a Rangers fan, but I also like the Wolf Tones. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. It's not, it's, uh, I guess it's contagious. Very good. Yeah. I thought it was a great story anyway when you told me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose we talk about your um, early childhood in Blue Bell, growing up in Blue Bell. Well, I suppose before that you were in, where was it, South Circular Road? Yeah, we'd, we lived in a one-roomed flat uh, in the Circular Road. Um, there was four children, of course, and uh, my ma and dad and they like six of us in a one room was kind of tough a little cramped <laughs> tough yeah but uh yeah we had uh, it wasn't that big of a room either but if it had two double beds a cot um gas stove fireplace um sideboard a, uh, a dining table um, a wash hand, a sink thing. Uh, we had a, a, what do we call it, a tub that we used to have baths in. And we had a bucket for the toilet if you're caught out during the night or whatever. <laughs> and that was behind the wardrobe. Uh, so, yeah, it was very cramped. Um, but that's the way it was until I was seven years old and I made my communion, I remember... And very soon after that, in June, we moved up to Blue Bell, which was a two, well, two-bedroom house. Two up, two down. Two up, two down, yeah. And it was like it was like heaven to us. We had a garden. We could run around. When we were in the flat in, in South Secular Road, we weren't allowed out. It was like children should be seen and not heard. Mm. So we were locked up mostly. Yeah. And there was an old one there that terrorised you. Yeah, the, the, the stretches were the owners of the house there. And uh, I guess they were, I don't know, they looked like real old ladies to me, but they might have been in their 50s, 60s, I don't know. Yeah. But they, they, they were strict. We couldn't play in the garden. Um, and uh, we couldn't be seen out in the hallway or anything like that. We could go out to the street, but then... It was the main road, the South Circular Road. Busy road. Yeah, yeah, busy road. So, yeah, we walked. But I have to say, uh, my dad took us out for walks almost every night. Yeah, Grand Warfield loved yeah, walking. Yeah, he walked, yeah. he walked the legs off us when we were kids. Yeah, he, but, takes, he used to take us out tonight, maybe to Herbert's Park or to, uh, or to Stevens Green or whatever. He took us a lot to to mass and to church. Yeah, he loved church. <laughs> yeah, he used to get all kinds of uh, devotions, and he'd never ever pass a church. He'd have to go in and light a candle. Or, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never gone into Dublin with him. Like he'd stop in every church you pass. You'd have to go in and yeah. he'd say a prayer, or light a candle. But he 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 was an altar boy until he was nineteen. Yeah, and so he he was embedded in the church, and he said he would have been a priest. Only um, he met my mother, Kathleen, mm. and uh, that turned his head a little bit. The rest was history, as they <laughs> say. Uh, so that was uh, his his love, I guess. And he was a 
for people that don't know, he, he was a coach painter, was he? Yeah, he painted uh, the, the, the coaches in, um, for CIE. He, he started off in the GSW, the Great Southern Railway. And then, you know, later on it became uh, CIE, uh, owned by the state. And his nickname was? The, the Seagull. <laughs> and explain that. <laughs> One of his many nicknames. He he was offered a job, you see, um, at one stage as a, a, to- a time and motion uh, guy. And these time and motion guys were brought in to uh, give more productivity and to see how people were using their time. Of course, Dad was very, he, he thought this was awful and, uh, you know, someone overlooking your work and yeah. writing down when you put your paintbrush down and writing down all, he, he said, I can't do this to other men that I've worked for all my life. So obviously some people took up the job and paid a little more and I guess they didn't work that hard writing down how other people worked. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, to annoy them when he repainted the roof of uh, one of the carriages or something like that, he used to, the white paint, he used to get the paint and splash it down on the time emotion. <laughs> so that's how he got the seagull. That's how he got the name of the seagull. <laughs> I love that story. It's very good. And um, so when you moved out to Bluebell, you were seven, eight years of age. And seven years, yeah, yeah. Derek was... Two years older than you, was he? Derek was just three. He's two years and nine months older than I was. So and then Noel is that. Noel is Noel is a year younger than me, and Bernard. And, and Bernard is just three years younger than me. Yeah. So like, um, we were all close. I think my mother lost two children in in between. One between me and Derek, and one between I, I think one after Bernard. And the both both she lost were girls. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That's sad. Yeah, yeah. She she miscarried. Seems she couldn't uh, carry girls. I don't know why. Yeah, and she died quite young as well, didn't she? She did. She yeah. died at sixty four, uh, which was uh, yeah. We thought she was taken, you know, too early because well, we really didn't get a chance. We were all working hard at the time, and uh, we would like to done more for her um, and as we got more successful we could have given her more and um, you know that didn't happen and she was taken too early Uh, it was ovarian cancer and uh, she went in a couple of years yeah she didn't drink or smoke I remember like she well maybe a glass of sherry I think a glass of sherry or port or something like that that's all she ever did she never smoked and uh yeah, she was a great mother. She, you know, everything she had, she gave to us. You know, I guess all mothers are like that. Yeah. But uh, she never, uh, never complained much or anything like that. And uh, I know that life was a struggle uh, because when I went to, uh, when I went to go to secondary school, we had to pay for it back then. You didn't get it free. Mm. And um, my mother took a job in uh, the Rainbow Cafe in Dublin, which was a kind of a uh, ice cream parlor come, you know, Italian food place. On O'Connell Street? It was on O'Connell Street, yeah. And uh, she took a job there. First of all, as uh, she was behind the counter uh, in the ice cream parlor 
And then she moved, she got another uh, job then as a, as a cook or chef or whatever. And uh, she done the cooking down there. And that helped send me to, um, to secondary down James's Street. And when I went to James's Street, I came out of the Oblet School in Inchicore, went to James's Street. To, because we had the baby boomers, uh, there was a huge amount of kids around my age. And the amount of my class was like, there was like about 80 kids of my age who went to secondary. So they broke it into two classes. But the point was that the two classes were sometimes in the one room. (laughs) And one fellow would be teaching Latin, the other guy would be teaching English over there, or maths. And I couldn't learn a bloody thing. Um, And most of the time, like, the fellas down there were were brothers down there, brother, uh, Christian brothers. And uh, most of the time, they were ducking chalk thrown by the kids in the... (laughs) In the uh, in are <laughs> thrown dust as a bits bits of paper wrapped up in balls, and the whole thing had stopped. You know who done a brother has to be around. Oh, who do? And the, the whole t- the whole thing. Of course, nobody would tell. Yeah, nobody ever told who. No, the, uh, no tells. <laughs> <laughs> if they told, you were better up, and that's for sure. But I think I often heard that. You know, that uh, in places that the Christian brothers were very hard and the kids were afraid of them. It was the opposite way around in their school. I think the brothers were afraid of the kids. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, a lot of, it's a lot of children in one room, you know, for... Oh, for, yeah, you took yeah. handle it. It was, yeah. must be an awful. But, you know, they didn't have the facilities. I guess Ireland didn't have the money. The Christian brothers were teaching there. I don't know. You know, it's their school. They built it and, you know... Was Ireland a poor place when you were growing up? It was, yeah. It, it, it uh, of course, lacked uh, job opportunities for most people. And uh, emigration was Massive. rife yeah. all over the place. Like, like out of my family, um, my mother was probably the only one that didn't have to emigrate. Uh, they all emigrated at certain times. Um, so uh, even my Aunt Maureen who lived here um, her husband Paddy used to go away every single year and he'd walk over there came back at Easter, summer and Christmas and that's all that's when she saw him mm. uh, so a lot, of, a lot of families were like that they had, to, had a, the, the husband go away earn a few bobs send back the money every week and Lived in digs all over America, all over England. So very tough times. Yeah, very tough. I know I've met a few people now that have uh, one gentleman that he was a tunneler from Donegal. Yeah, and yeah. He, and he worked on all the tunnels over in the UK. But he, yeah. his family were back here in in Thailand. Yeah, yeah. To send the money back, but they were very tough times. Yeah. Well, um, Patter was a, a pile driver, as they call it, and he. He'd be going around there, so they used to tr- drive um, the anchors into the ground to hold buildings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was tough work too. But uh, you know, there was no opportunities at home here for him, and you know, probably only for Sean Lamas and his vision for Ireland of a, an industrial co- country would would have been you know the same. Yeah. A poor agricultural co- co- country. Yeah. 
you know, needing to export all its butter, eggs, milk, whatever. It's changed a lot since even my time of growing up. Because like, even when I came out of college in 89, there wasn't much opportunity for... for no, people. no. There was still a huge immigration back then. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's why we have a lot of immigration songs. And, they, you know, they, they leave that out, you know, when they're talking about the wolf tones or anything like that. We painted a picture of Ireland... Not alone its revolution, but uh, its emigration and its uh, diaspora across the water in England, its diaspora in America. Their story is much, it's the same as their story. It's, uh, so it was very important that, uh, that we told a story of complete Ireland, the picture of Ireland. It's, it's, uh, it's fight for survival among the world. It's fight for independence. You know, it's long history of struggle. It's uh, emigration, it's famines. You know, it's just such a sad, sad story that uh, I, I'm i just so... I have to get it out there. And that was my ambition and, uh, when I started off singing was to tell Ireland's story to the world. Mm. Um, because I, I had a great... I had a great uh, um, teacher in uh, the Oblis School, Mr McKnight... And he, he, he gave me a great love of history. He gave me a great love of Ireland. And he really, I, I don't, only for him, I, I don't think I would have had a decent education. He inspired me in every way. Yeah. And you do have a, like, even just looking around this room, we only have to look to my left and there's, a, I don't know how many books. Thousands. <laughs> of old books. Uh, and I'd say there are, 90% of them are probably about Irish history and 10% about music, really. Would that be right? Yeah, it'd be thereabouts, yeah. I've, I've every music book that was, you know, ever published, um, all the great collections and all that, and uh, I've uh, various um, books on Irish history. And Have you read every one? Uh, no, but I use them as reference whenever I need it. Yeah. You know, like, because I can't be, when I was so busy, I can't be running to libraries to research. So, in other words, I had to have my own research on hand uh, whenever I needed it. I didn't read every single book, but when I want a bit of information, I know where to go for it. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's a good spot, all right. I mean, I've read some, some of the books, the old books. I mean, you got me interested in, in reading books, but... It, like yourself, I just read Irish history books or yeah, yeah. not so much music books. And I don't have that uh, gras for it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Probably not the gras. Probably more the <laughs> the uh, attention. <laughs> I don't think I'd I'd spend enough time uh, reading it correctly. But uh, I love the history books. And the first book that you introduced me to in history was the Danbury and My Fight for Irish Freedom. And I still love that book, and I think if anyone's looking to get into Irish history, if they read that book, it would uh, give a great insight into uh, the War of Independence and and into his thoughts because it's his own words, like you know. But um, there's probably, as you, we've had this conversation before, like where you've said, like there's, there's probably as many stories out there that were never written down, which is, have been lost to time now, then people have passed on and they've never written down their story. And I think that's a bit why we decided to do this podcast was so that we could uh, we could pass it down to your grandchildren mm-hmm. in the years after, that they have something to look back at. 
Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. But, you, you know, it's very important as well that I think that the Irish people, two things, one thing that, you know, that you remember your history and where you came from, it's important. Uh, the other thing that I missed out in life and I would like to do, be more proficient in the Irish language. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things that I didn't have time for. I mean, I've, I have one stage I was learning the harp and learning tunes and writing tunes and you know never it was very busy 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 all the time there was always something doing you were touring I mean we done eight week tours of America you know four week tours of England Scotland um, so it was a busy busy time I remember like growing up like you were away quite a a lot yeah you yeah know, you were gone a lot from um, Mam had to sort of take up the slack there. So it was it was a tough life for her as well, like, you know, as, as yourself, like, travelling on the road, because I've spent three weeks in America doing a, a tour one, St. Patrick's, up around St. Patrick's. And I, well, I was a lot younger then, but that nearly did away with me, I have to say. <laughs> I don't know how you do what you did back then, like, you know, in terms of, because you brought all your own gear over, all your equipment, and then I, I think I looked at one one time you had a uh, had a tour of America and you had something like thirty odd internal flights. Yeah, we did, and uh, you know we used to bring all the equipment, as you said. But uh, um, what we used to have to do, like uh, we had a couple of roadies, of course, and then when we go to load into a flight, you know, we you tip the the guy really well, give him mm. a twenty spot or something like that. Sweetener. So yeah, so he wouldn't charge you for all the pieces, and we got away with it a lot. But on one occasion, uh, we came back. Uh, we were going, I think, from Los Angeles to um, to um, Tampa. No, it wasn't Tampa. It was um, um, so, somewhere in Florida. One of, I think it was West Palm Beach, and. Uh, we we got the flight over anyhow. When we got off the flight, uh, we went looking for the equipment and it wasn't there. We got tar missing, we had banjo missing, we had uh, some of the gear missing and everything else like that. So we had a concert that night and uh, no gear. We tried to get gear around the town and we couldn't couldn't get it anywhere. I think it was a Sunday or something like that. We couldn't get anything. And we we had, you know, we couldn't let people down, but we we, we got a couple of mics. It must have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we put on what we could, the best we could do. Yeah. And uh, but you didn't let the people down. No, no we didn't let yeah. them down, but um, we never got a return gig there. Did you not? <laughs> So you were crap. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it must have been. It didn't go down that well. All right. And did you get the gear back after? Yeah, we got it. We got it back the next day. It came yeah. in, so so we are back on our way. Yeah, I remember we went uh, after that. I remember we had the day off. Off, the, you know, the Monday was off. And Monday's always a bad day, but we had the Monday off. And uh, I remember I went out uh, to the Everglades looking at alligators. <laughs> Take your mind off the shy gig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just one of those things. Yeah. Life on the road. Okay, Dad, I guess we leave it there. Um, 
And uh, what we forgot to mention was uh, the episode will be called after the first song on the Foggy Dew album. And the number one track was a song called The Singing Bird. So we'll sit back and have a listen to that and then we'll sign off. All right. That's the singing bird, the number one track of the 1965 album The Foggy Dew, and what our first episode will be named. So uh, we hope you liked it with crackles and all, and Tommy Byrne on lead vocals. Um, and uh, hopefully, if you did like it rambling for the last 50 odd minutes, that you'll recommend us to your friends and family and hit likes and shares and stuff like that. And uh, you'll rejoin us then next week for another 50 minutes of the two, two of us rambling on. Uh, so slang of all and God bless.